Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm up here a little early, probably one song earlier than normal to get into God's Word because we have uh, something special taking place at the end of the message as well that will tie into the message. I read this uh, this week and I'll share it with you. I read this, research suggests that families as an institution are changing in such a way that they are in a state of decline. It's argued, this article shared, that the overall functions of the family, listen, to have children and to nurture those children into functioning adults are being threatened by the changes in values and norms in our society. Scholars say that the decline in marriage rates, the rise in divorce rates, changes in marital roles, and changing family structure are hindering the function of the family as an institution. Uh, why is that a problem? And I'm going to argue that that is a problem. Why is that a problem? Well, I want to remind you of what we learned last week. I want you to notice again what Jeffrey Johnson wrote on the screen for you. He said this, the family, as God has designed it, is, listen, the backbone of society. How is the next generation to be properly raised up to maturity? How will society function without responsible, disciplined, educated citizens? It is the family that God designed to raise up, discipline, and educate the preceding generations of individuals. And this is our concern uh, this morning in this message. It's the next generation. What will the next generation look like if families continue to decline? What will the next generation look like if Christian families lose their grasp on God's design for the family and as a result lose their distinctness and their brightness and their saltiness? The, the influence that bears witness simply through the living out of God's good design for their families. What will the next generation look like if the church loses its grasp on the fundamental institution of the family? The most basic way we can protect ourselves from a devastating drift that I suggest is happening everywhere, even in churches everywhere and all over our society, is by becoming acquainted again, is by being convinced again, is by being committed again to what God has said about the family, and specifically this morning, what God has said about children, children. Do you know what the Bible says about children? When was the last time you heard a sermon about what God thinks about children? 
Well, last week we saw that the family is the foundational institution of society, and that foundational institution we saw last week is established through marriage. The emphasis of today's message is this. The family is the foundational institution of society, and not only established through marriage, but today we focus on this, the family commissioned to have children physically and spiritually. And that's the title of the message today. The family commissioned to have children physically and spiritually. And by the end of this message, you're going to understand what I mean by that. I want you to go ahead with me and take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand, and one of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that Bible home. It'll be our gift to you. We would absolutely love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by the Word of God. We're going to be going to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read two verses, verses 27 to 28, and then we're going to go to a number of other portions of Scripture today to help us with our subject uh, today. Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start reading from verse 27. Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, chapter 1, starting from verse 27, says this. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Notice, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's word. Okay, if you have a pen and a notepad or a sermon notes outline card, you can make a note of this. This is where we're going to start today. The family, the foundational institution of society, commissioned to have children. Point number one is this. Having children is God's good and normal plan. Having children is God's good and normal plan plan. Look at verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1 again. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What do we have here? What we have here in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1 is what's commonly called uh, the creation mandate in part. We're going to talk just about one part of the creation mandate today. And that is the mandate that was entrusted to the first human beings, the calling and responsibility to be fruitful and multiply on the earth and to subdue it. And immediately what I want you to see right there in Genesis 1, at the beginning of creation, I want you to see that we're confronted with the truth that's very countercultural for us in our society today, namely that having children is God's good and normal plan for married couples. Now, this hasn't always been countercultural 
in our society. But in our society today, it's increasingly so. And there are ample statistics that I don't have time to share with you right now to show the subtle and not so subtle message to men and women in our culture today, uh, downplaying this mandate given to us. The message that somehow children are hindrance to our goals. That's the message that's being sent in our society. Whether you realize it or not, that's what's being spoken to us everywhere we go. Children are a hindrance to our goals. Children are a disruption to our plans. The children are little erasers of our identities. Children erase our identities. They erase our plans. They erase our goals. They take away from us a sense of purpose. They take away from us a sense of who we really are. That's what's being shouted from the mountaintop of our culture today, that that is what the world thinks about children, and that's what you need to think about children. Here's my question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about children and having children and this creation mandate? Well, I want to show you at least three countercultural truths from God's word today to form our families. Uh, number one truth I want to show you is this. Uh, children are a blessing, not a burden. That's what the Bible says. Children are a blessing, not a burden. And this is the resounding message of the entire Bible. You see it everywhere. Nothing in the Bible contradicts this message. Everything in the Bible reinforces this message. Children are a blessing, not a burden. This is the echo that reverberates from God's heart concerning children. Children are a blessing. They are never a burden. Let me show you on the screen just one place. Psalm 127 verses 3 to 5 says this. It says, Behold, children are what? a heritage from the Lord. The psalmist says the fruit of the womb, a what? A reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Watch this. Blessed, blessed, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. What does that tell you? It tells you that children are a blessing not a burden. They are not little erasers that erase your identity. They're not little erasers that erase your goals and your plans. No, they are a blessing to your life. That's what the Bible says. I wish I could show you from many more places, but I don't have time. Secondly, I want to show you this. Not only are children a blessing, not a burden. I want to show you this. Secondly, a Jesus loves the little children. Jesus Christ, our Savior, the king, the head of our church, he loves the little children. And if Jesus is the head of the church, we ought to care what he thinks about children. In a historical context that likely viewed children negatively, I want you to look at what Jesus says and does on the screen in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. It says, and they were bringing children to him, that's to Jesus, that he might touch them. Notice this. Watch. And the disciples rebuked them. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. That word means he was actually angry. He wasn't sinfully angry. He was rightfully and righteously angry because this was an unfair and unjust treatment of the little children. That's the meaning of indignant. Jesus was angry because what was happening before his eyes was unfair. It was unjust. It was not right. When he saw it, Jesus, he was indignant and said to them, watch this, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying they are objects of the grace of Jesus Christ as well. The kingdom of God is filled with little children who have perceived his love through faith, who have understood his grace through faith. And then he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it looking at his disciples who are rebuking the little children who are saying, get, get these kids away from Jesus. Get these kids away from this king. He has better things to be doing. No, Jesus says, unless you become like these little ones, you can't enter the kingdom unless you trust me like they trust me, unless you come to me like they come to me with childlike faith and trust. You can't come into the kingdom. It's a profound correction. He's saying this, that the very act of rebuking the children shows that these disciples don't understand his message. They don't understand his love. They don't understand his grace. They should be like the little children and receive his love that's so freely offered to all. Notice, I love this, verse 16. And he, Jesus, took them in his arms, and blessed them, laying his hands on them. He took them in his arms and blessed them. Can you picture that for a moment? Can you just live in the text? Try to reconstruct the scene in your mind. Jesus is there, probably a few people around him. People were bringing their children to him. The disciples step in front of Jesus and say, get these kids away. No, no, no. They're disturbing things. Get them away. Get them away. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Bring them to me. And he takes them in his arms. And he holds them near to his chest. And Jesus takes time to bless the little children. Jesus doesn't view the little children as a nuisance. Jesus doesn't view the little children as a distraction. Jesus Christ loves the little children. Children are a blessing, not a burden. Jesus loves little children. Thirdly, I want you to see this. Parents must bring their children to Jesus. Parents must bring their children to Jesus. In other words, parents, every parent in the room, don't be like the disciples here in Mark 10. Parents, listen closely. Don't be like the disciples here. You must bring your children to Jesus. You must bring your children and don't hinder them from coming to Jesus. Parents, don't block your children from daily access to the word of Jesus. Parents, don't prevent your children from regular exposure to the ministry of Jesus. 
parents don't fail to establish patterns of involvement and attendance in the life of the church of Jesus. Bring your children to Jesus. What are some ways parents block their children unintentionally from coming to Jesus? Well, they keep the Bible closed in their homes. And here is a profound wake-up call for us as parents. We set the example. And when our Bibles are closed, we not only lead our own hearts astray, we block the little ones from knowing Jesus. What's another way that we block children or prevent them from coming to Jesus? Maybe unknowingly. We think little thoughts about bringing them to church. We think small thoughts about the church. We think it's okay to come to church late and not prepared and just drag them in and just plop them anywhere and it doesn't really matter. They're watching you. And let me just tell you, when a child sees a parent that says, on Saturday night, tomorrow morning, loved ones, we're going to church. And when a child sees a parent that says, tomorrow morning, love, I, I get to talk about the sermon to my kids, not every single Saturday, but some Saturdays I say to them, hey, this is what we're going to be doing tomorrow. It, it gives them a glimpse of the significance of what's going to happen the next day. It opens a door. It opens uh, the mind to, to what, what's going to happen tomorrow. I should pay attention. One way parents block their children from coming to Jesus is by failing to serve Jesus themselves and failing to set an example for their children of what it looks like to spend their lives for Jesus Christ and then welcome them into that life. Oh, loved ones, parents, parents, you must bring your children to Jesus. This is your primary responsibility. This responsibility to bring your children to Jesus doesn't rest primarily with the church. It's your responsibility. This responsibility certainly does not rest in the school system, whether it's a Christian school or a public school. It's not their job. It's yours, parents, to bring your children to Jesus, to show them what it means to put your faith in Christ through prayer to show them what it means that the Bible is a living book. When they watch your life, they are absorbing everything like a sponge. And they absorb your lack of fervency for God's word like a sponge. And they absorb your lack of excitement for the church like a sponge. And conversely, they absorb your love for Jesus and his word and prayer and the church like a sponge. It's your responsibility. The responsibility to bring your children to Jesus is yours. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, I pastored in a church where there were a lot of uh, busy parents and a lot of doctors and a lot of engineers and a lot of pharmacists, a lot of people that had, you know, really uh, well-established careers. And I remember parents would come to me as a youth pastor and they would beg me to take care of their children. 
They'd say, please visit my child at school. Please visit my child at home. Please teach my child how to read the Bible. Please make sure you take them aside after youth tonight and spend some time with them. They gave me a hard time this week. I was at work. Oh, please, please, Jason, can you take care of my child? It's not my job. I want to teach God's word. I want to help them in every way. I want to come alongside parents, but it's not the youth pastor's job. It's the parent's job. And this is profound. On the screen, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, notice it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Watch this. Watch this closely. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Watch this now. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. Parents. You must bring your children to Jesus. You must teach them diligently. Teach them the word of God diligently. Talk about the glorious God that you serve when you sit in your house, at the breakfast table, at lunch, at dinner time, before bed, When you're out for a walk, when you're in the mall, when the sun is rising early, look, kids, look at the sun rising. God is awesome. Look, kids, look, the rain is falling. God is awesome. Look, kids, look, the rain is going to water the grass and you're going to see the seeds that we planted in the garden. It's going to grow. I'm going to show you how awesome God is. Look, kids, look, God is awesome. Look, kids, before bed, put your head on the pillow. You know, kids, not many people have this. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God has given you, kids, the gift of sleep. Did you know that? It's a gift. Don't be anxious, loved ones. Sleep well tonight. When you sit and when you rise, when you go to bed, when you're out for a walk, teach them diligently, loved ones. How will we change the society and the culture that is on the verge of collapse? By refusing to relinquish an entire generation of children to the influences of the world instead of bringing our children to Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, this should sober us. Perhaps, and I don't know everybody, but perhaps there's parents in this church that functionally, You have relinquished your children to Instagram and to TikTok and to YouTube. You've relinquished the influence to social media. You've relinquished your influence to the school system. You've relinquished control. You said, go out there, do whatever you want. I'm too busy. I'm doing my own thing. No, you don't say it that way. But I wonder how many of us are being challenged right now 
And will we be a church that refuses to relinquish a generation of children to the debauched society around us? Parents, it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to bring our children to Jesus. And if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, if you're feeling a little sober-minded, that's good. But the key is bring them to Jesus. And Jesus will do the work that only he can do in their lives. Amen? Amen. The family. The foundational institution of society. Commissioned to have children. Having children is God's good and normal plan. Secondly, this. You can write this down. Uh, Having children is not ultimate. Having spiritual children is. Having children is not ultimate. Having spiritual children is. The reason why I say that having physical children is not ultimate is twofold. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Firstly, because not everyone can have physical, biological children for different reasons. Now, this doesn't in any way diminish the good and normal and normative plan of God for married couples to bear physical children. I want you to hear me very carefully. But it does acknowledge the reality that in a fallen world, and for many other reasons, some Christian couples simply cannot bear physical children. So having physical children cannot be ultimate and absolute. We're going to talk a bit more about this in a few moments. But the second reason why I say that having physical children is not ultimate is because of a theological shift we see in the New Testament from the emphasis to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers of God physically to the emphasis to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers of God spiritually. And this, loved ones, doesn't in any way diminish the good and normal and normative plan of God for married couples to bear children physically either. Nor does it diminish the ongoing physical realities of the creation mandate. I want you to listen to me carefully. What it does teach us, though, is that every single Christian must live in the reality of the extension of the creation mandate given to us in Genesis 1.28 and have as their priority the making of spiritual children or making disciples of Jesus Christ, whether they are your biological children or whether they are your adopted children or whether they are your co-workers or neighbors or classmates, all Christians everywhere are entrusted with the mandate and the priority of making disciples of all nations and filling the earth with worshipers of Jesus Christ, spiritual children. I want you to track with me. Because right now I want to show you an unmistakable link between the redemptive purposes of God through physical offspring in the Old Testament and the redemptive purposes of God through spiritual offspring in the New Testament. Then we'll draw some practical application for our lives and our families. And I trust we're going to end in a powerful way. On the screen for you, as we've seen in Genesis 1.28, God gives the first humans 
the creation mandate. Here it is on the screen. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? Why? Because there are only two worshipers of God on the earth. And God's plan was to fill his earth with more worshipers. Go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with more people who will worship me. On the screen for you in Matthew 28, 19 now, we have what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because there were only few worshipers of Jesus Christ on the earth at that time, and God's plan from the beginning was to restore a fallen humanity and in so doing, fill his earth with worshipers. In the old covenant, the promise of salvation came through a physical offspring the offspring of Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I want you to notice on the screen, Genesis 12, 2 to 3. God says to Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And notice in you, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, I will multiply your physical offspring. And through it, the whole world will be blessed. Be fruitful and multiply. In the new covenant now, the promise of salvation extends to all nations through a spiritual offspring, that is, the reproduction of the sons of Abraham, not physically or ethnically, but spiritually by faith. Notice on the screen Galatians 3, 13 to 14. The Apostle Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, watch this, so that in Christ Jesus, notice, notice, the blessing of who? The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit, notice how, through faith. Amazing. Paul says that the blessing promised to Abraham in Genesis 12 began by a physical and ethnic offspring through the lineage of Abraham, the ethnicity of Israel, leading to the physical birth of Jesus Christ. Then, through Christ's finished work on the cross, the blessing continues to multiply. Spiritual children are being multiplied now not by way of ethnicity or attachment to Israel physically, but through faith in Jesus Christ spiritually. Why am I pointing all of this out? Well, I'm trying to teach you an important truth that has many implications. That while it remains God's good and normal and normative plan for married couples to have physical children. This is not what is ultimate. Ultimately, we are called to bear spiritual children, disciples of Jesus Christ, all over the world. The Apostle Paul, a single man 
who had no biological children, addressed to young Pastor Timothy this way in 1 Timothy 1-2. He says, to Timothy, notice, my true child in the faith. Timothy was his spiritual son. The same single, childless Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 4-15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Watch this. Paul says, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Wow. The apostle Paul has no biological children. He's a single man. But oh, does he have many spiritual children. I'm pointing this out because while many of us have been granted the blessing of biological children, still many of us have not. But listen, for those that have not, for those that have not been given the blessing of biological children, this does not mean that in God's economy, in God's kingdom, that somehow those without biological children are second-class citizens, or that there's something wrong with you, or that God is somehow disappointed with you, or that your family cannot be used by God in society. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, there are powerful and fascinating and even difficult stories in Scripture that teach us of God's unfolding purposes of redemption, particularly stories of God's sovereignty over wombs for His redemptive purpose. And I want you to listen to me, and particularly those of you who have not biological children and you feel discouraged today. I want to care for you in the next few moments because God has something for all of us and God has something for you. We have the story, for example, of Sarah in Genesis 21. You remember it. The promise of a son, the sovereign closing of a womb, and a miraculous pregnancy. But what is the point? The point is not the pregnancy itself. The point is God's sovereignty over wombs to bring about a redemptive purpose. The lineage of Sarah's son would produce the Messiah. That's the point. We have Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. The devastation of infertility. A prayer of fervent faith. A prayer answering God. But what's the point? Not the pregnancy in itself, but God's sovereignty over wombs to bring about a redemptive purpose. Hannah's son would be the prophet Samuel, pointing ultimately to the perfect and coming prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, righteous before God, blameless in all her ways, and yet barren advanced in years, and in time, miraculously pregnant. But what was the point? Not the pregnancy in itself, but God's sovereignty over wombs to bring about a redemptive purpose. Elizabeth's son would be John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have Mary in Luke chapter 1. 
a virgin betrothed to Joseph and miraculously pregnant by the Holy Spirit, what was the point? Well, of course, the Christian doctrine of the virgin birth has massive significance to us. But the pregnancy in itself is not the main point. God's absolute sovereignty over wombs, spanning the generations to bring about his redemptive purposes, Mary would give birth to none other than Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the one through whom all the nations will be blessed. And from now on, God's promise to bless the nations of the world will be realized not through the physical lineage and ethnicity of Abraham's descendants alone, but now as an extension through the spiritual lineage by faith in Jesus. Christ. This, loved ones, is how the New Testament Great Commission to make disciples of all nations is the extension of the Old Testament creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Our calling is not merely to fill the earth with more children. It's not merely that. It was never that. Our calling is to fill the earth with spiritual children. That was the plan all the way back when Abraham got the promise from God. That those children would have faith in Christ. So if you have biological children, you are called to make them spiritual children of God. And if you have adopted children, you are called to make them spiritual children of God. And if you have neither, you are called to make spiritual children of God. Children of God. So that we fill the earth with worshipers of God who worship him by faith in Christ. Now I understand that it's possible for some or even many to agree with what I've just said and still, still to be heartbroken because of the reality of infertility. Maybe there are people sitting here today, couples or women that we love so much that are struggling with the reality of infertility. I want to talk to you for a few moments. I can understand to a degree the pain and disappointment that you may be feeling. Aileen and I have four babies in heaven. I understand the pain of loss. We understand the pain of sitting in a hospital room and a doctor coming in and saying, it's no longer viable. And then rushing out to take care of the next thing and leaving us in the hospital room alone, having lost our baby. But more important than any human understanding, <clears throat> God fully understands, and he is not working against you.
He is working for you. God is sovereign over wombs. And he is not working against you. He's working for you. Glenna Marshall, a pastor's wife who struggled with infertility for years until she and her husband were led to God's purpose of adopting two boys, wrote this. She wrote in her blog, He, speaking of God, is no arbitrary God, randomly closing one womb and opening another. If he intended to close a womb, it is because he had purposed that it would be more glorifying to him in its closure. For Hannah, the arrival of Samuel when he came was important for the future of Israel. In the broad scheme of things, we can trace the path toward the anointing of King David and his future descendant, Christ, who will reign forever. She wrote, the timing of God's work is utterly significant. The Lord sees you. He is not arbitrarily withholding something good from you. He is sovereign over your barren womb. And that is actually a good thing. Coming from a woman who has suffered for years. She says there is a kindness in a God who does things with purpose. He always sees you. And you can trust him with your future. Loved ones, it's true. Having children is God's good and normal and normative plan. Children are not a burden. They're a blessing. Jesus loves the little children. Parents, you must bring your children to Jesus because, after all, Having physical children is not the ultimate thing. Having spiritual children is. So, John Piper says, whichever way you do it, for the name of Christ, gather children for the name of Christ. So as a single person, as a married person, or as a couple without children, gather children. Fill the earth with worshipers by winning worshipers, if not by begetting worshipers. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. And I want to lead you in a moment of prayer and reflection. There are many in our church who have been granted the privilege and the blessing of having biological children. That's beautiful. It's good. It's right. 
And if you have biological children, here's my question for you. What are you doing to make them spiritual children of God? Because you can have 10 biological children, but if they're not children of God, then we must never relent of our purpose. Maybe there's a couple or a family and you're secretly lamenting because you don't have biological children. And I want to minister to you right now. Maybe you've tried and you've tried and it has not happened and you are devastated. God sees you. And he loves you. And he withholds no good thing from you. This is the God who has full control over wombs. And if he has not granted you the blessing of children today, there must be a purpose. Make spiritual children. And maybe you are here and you have adopted children. It's one of the most powerful expressions of the gospel we could ever live out. And we're going to talk more about that in the final week of this series. Make these precious children that you have rescued children of God. And maybe you're single. And you heard last week's message and you're discouraged because you're not married. And you hear this week's message and you're discouraged because there's no children, because there's no marriage. Devote yourself to making spiritual children. Bringing people to Jesus. And trust him with your singleness. And spend yourself for him. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray for my friends in this room that you would fill us all with hope and purpose because you are not an arbitrary God, but you're a God of purpose. I even think right now of the parents who perhaps Their children are all grown and and they feel like perhaps they failed. Maybe they got saved later in life and their children are wayward. I just pray that you would give us a sense of faith and confidence. But even still, our God is a redeemer. And even now, our God is faithful. That you would help us to be a church that makes spiritual children. To fill the earth with worshipers of God. We love you so much, Lord. Put in our hearts what you want us to keep today and anything that you don't want us to keep, let it fall away. I pray in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, 
please visit hopechurchtw.ca.